Fantastic. Okay, so we have been, as a church, going through the book of Joshua. I have let it slip that will take 40 years. That was a mistake. It'll be about 33 weeks. I meant to say 40 weeks, but if you're here one week, I said, yeah, we'll be, we're going to do this book for 40 years. I think a lot of people were fearful of that fact, seeing as it had been six weeks and we're still in chapter one. But we're getting through there. The reason why we're so committed to the Word of God is because it is the foundation of truth for our lives. We will be like every other person battered around by this week's, this month's, this year's new truth unless we focus our hearts on the truth of the scriptures. So we're going to be a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, Bible-loving church. And so we're going to spend 33 weeks in the book of Joshua. This week I want to talk about overcoming the fear through immersion in the mission. Let me just introduce and recap where we've been. We're 12 weeks into the book of Joshua. So we're 12 weeks into the sojourn through the book of Joshua, walking with the Israelites, walking with this godly leader that God raised up after the death of Moses, which would have been for the Israelite people, literally a catastrophic, but who will lead us now? And God raises up a leader. God will always do that. Don't ever trust only in the man or the woman. Trust in God. Because he'll raise up someone else. And so we see that this man, Joshua, is raised up. And we're looking into this 4,000-year-old telling of the journey of these Israelites and their faithful leader into their promised land. And we called the series Living Life Without the Fear. And, and um, for some of you that have joined us since we began, I want to recap that I believe we are immersed in and live in and are saturated by the media of a fear culture. There's a Lily Allen song. I don't know how many of you know Lily Allen. Not personally. I mean, I know her personally. She comes over to our house quite often. Um, really praying to lead her to the... I don't know her personally. I love seeing the young guy's hands. He's like, yeah, I know. I know her. And some of the older people, huh? Lily Allen. Anyway, Lily Allen sings this great song called, uh, uh, it's all about the fear. She's a young woman kind of saying, well, as long as I'm packed with plastic, then the world will love me. As long as I'm consuming, then I'll be okay. And it's this concept. There's this young lady singing about living a life of fear. Will she fit in? Will she, will she make it? Will she, will she be overcome by, by whatever the fear culture imposes upon us? And I want to read um, a couple of quotes. We've been doing further research. Because sometimes I think, Simon, you're just a weirdo who makes things up. And kind of really want to confirm it on the web, um, which again is not a good thing to do because you can confirm anything on the web. So you can have the weirdest view. Oh my word, I mean, I could just make something up right now and I guarantee you Google it, there'll be 4,000 other people in the globe who believe the same thing. Um, you know, that uh, Jesus was uh, brought you on a UFO and, uh, you know, had three heads. And you'll find something that will support that view. But kind of have this view that we're immersed in a fear culture. And I read a few um, sort of quotes and, and, and one was... Um, an article on the independent.co.uk, the, uh, the um, obviously independent newspaper's website. And why is Britain becoming a more fearful place? Listen to these words. Britain is becoming a more fearful nation with rising levels of anxiety and depression that are fueling the economic crisis by undermining confidence, a report said today. More than one-third of those questioned in a mental health foundation survey said they felt more frightened than they used to. And more than three quarters said the world was a more frightening place than a decade ago. In February, the Office for National Statistics, this was February 2007, uh, 2008, the Office for National Statistics published figures showing a 12% rise in the rate of anxiety disorders in the UK between 1993 and 2007, equivalent to 800,000 more sufferers with anxiety disorders in the UK. More than 7 million people are living with anxiety problems, 
The Mental Health Foundation report, In the Face of Fear, says the two trends are linked. The more fearful people feel in the general population, the more are tipped over into clinical anxiety problems with an increased risk of heart disease, digestive troubles, asthma, and allergies. This charity, um, um, uh, Mental Health Foundation, blames a culture of fear stoked by threatening news reports. Everything's a crisis. Snow! Watch out, duck! Get all the clothes you can get! Go to Tesco! Buy the place out because it's going to snow! You won't make it through the snow! Crisis in the United Kingdom! And everyone's like, oh my word! Snow! And, and so everything is a crisis. Everything is a disaster. Everything is, this could be the final thing. If you're supporting Liverpool at the moment, it is a crisis. But if you listen to what they say, it's like, oh, they're going to die. We're all going to die. And that constantly comes across. Politicians using oh, the worst case scenario language and institutions fostering an air of catastrophe around knife crime, MRSA, bird flu and terrorism. Another quote, great quote here by a, a lady who, who um, actually tries to write a lot about, um, she's got a book, um, um, de-nannying the super nanny, she's kind of against the super nanny tactics which I would kind of probably partially be on board with her anyway. The culture of fear, her name's Jenny Bristow, um, she's an author of quite a few, several books. The culture of fear is not a spontaneous reaction by the public to a truly dangerous world. The worldwide anthrax panic, sparked by a handful of anthrax-related deaths in America shortly after 9-11, was not caused by genuine and widespread mortal danger facing the United States and European citizens. No, our propensity to panic about everything from child abductions to mobile phones does not come from the fact that modern life contains more risks than ever before. On the level of everyday reality, the opposite is the case. We are in the most sanitized, healthy, safe culture that ever there was. We're the most anxious, fearful generation that ever there was. The culture of fear comes from the top down. It comes from society's leaders and their inability to lead. Jenny Bristow. The crisis of fear is this. This is, this is why I think it's so important to us as followers of Christ or those on the journey of finding out, do I want to join these weirdos and become a Christian as well and do that singing stuff and get crazy about Jesus. The crisis of fear is that it makes us behave abnormally or in opposition to our character. It makes us, I spoke about, um, I used to go have to lock the gate at the end of my, uh, growing up in Zimbabwe, we had to kind of walk down this gravel um, dr um, driveway about 200 yards, lock the gate and sprint back because I was so scared of the dark. And one time my brother-in-law and sister were staying with us and he hid behind this, um, uh, this, this bush. And as I was running back, he just went, like instant tears. I just, went, I just cried instantly. And I, I, I'm, that's not me. I'm not like a, it was just, the crisis of fear was that I behaved abnormally. I was just instantly crying because I was so scared. The fear made me behave abnormally. And that's the power of fear. The power of it leading to an anxious kind of constant sort of fear. And that's the culture we live in. And what it does, it makes us, even as Christians, act in opposition to our character. So we're taking this journey through the book of Joshua in a desire to live life without the fear. We believe the truth will set us free. We believe principles in this book can shape us to be a people of greater faith and certainty in the glorious faithfulness of our God. I want to make this statement very clear this morning. Fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the enemy of faith. Firstly, I'll say two, two major reasons. One, it hinders us even coming to faith in Christ. Some here today and millions out there 
are bound to society's cures and solutions to their fear. What if I consume, 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 always get the latest gadget, the latest thing. If I somehow climb the mortgage market and get a bigger, better house, I will conquer this, this inner fear, this inner concern, this inner worry. They're constantly um, trying to find society's cures. Instead of turning to Jesus, they kind of find society's cure. Doing a bit of research about Buddhism. Buddhism says you just need to think better. Well, partially true, but gosh, if that's what's going to save us, let's all just think better. Or society's cures. And so fear hinders us even coming to Christ because we turn to society's cures for its own fear culture. We ignore the offers of Christ or we become hedonists. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Let me just consume and, and, and overwhelm this inner consciousness that I'm lost and lonely without God by consuming Ibiza here and, and, and dancing all night here and, and whatever. Just somehow consuming as much as possible and just trying to seek pleasure that maybe that. Maybe that will conquer the fear in our hearts. That's the first way that I fear. Enemy, en fear is the enemy of faith. And secondly, in our lives as Christians, as followers of Christ, it saps our joy and distracts us from our devotion to Jesus and His Word. And it causes us to live in impurity. I fear loneliness. I pursue a dangerous non-Christian relationship. I fear financial insecurity or I fear financial concerns so I start doing a bit of couple of dodgy deals with the business and dodge the tax man I, I, I start acting abnormally to my character because fear is sapping my joy in Christ I'm letting fear win over and so I start actually living a life without faith I try and trust in other things to make things right we become uh, we, 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 we start living in impurity we become disobedient because we're fearful of the consequences of trusting fully in God when there's other answers and other ways to solve problems we become spiritually weakened because we we turn away from the Word of God and our belief and our faith and our trust in the Word of God and what will happen is we will conform to our fear-bound culture rather than be continually transformed into the likeness of Christ, which is our calling, which is our, what, what, what is worship. If you read Romans 12, you know, be transformed into the image of Christ. And the way that happens is by faith-fueled life in the Spirit and devotion to the Word of God. That is how we transform into the image of Christ and conquer the culture of fear, changing our faith and making us faithless. Paul Downey, one of the commentators I've been reading in, this, in studying this uh, series and some of the other guys uh, we've been reading, he says spiritual victory comes through obedient faith. Spiritual victory comes through obedient faith. And we've emphasized all along, I'm still recapping, over the past 11 messages in the book of Joshua that the promised land, the promised land for the Israelites parallels our life in Christ. The promised land for the Israelites parallels our life in Christ. Joshua, the book in the Old Testament, points us to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, which highlights all the spiritual blessings. If you read just the first chapter of Ephesians, you'll be overwhelmed with the consciousness of all that is available to us in Christ, all that God has won for us in the death of His Son. It makes you realize that without Christ, what do you have? You don't have eternal blessings. You may be well now. You may be healthy now and happy now. But in Christ, you have eternal blessings blessings you have blessings for all time you have the fullness of Christ and so the whole promised land for the Israelites is pointing us to our life in Christ as people of God today but those things our life in Christ must be possessed through victorious faith-fueled living in the spirit many many of you here today are in Christ 
and are not experiencing the joy of that because you're not living in faith and you're not being led by the Spirit. So you're a Christian, we'll give that to you. You've got the ticket, you're going to get the gig at the end, but at the moment it's kind of difficult. And I would say primarily that is because you're not allowing the work of the Spirit in your heart and you're not feeding yourself and filling yourself with the Word of God and trusting in faith that God who gave us His Son, will He not along with Him give us all things as well? And that's what happens. You're in Christ, but you're not possessing any of the blessings. If I was a pure kind of health and wealth preacher, I would say that, you know, all the blessings are ours. You just kind of tap into heaven and suck down a Mercedes and suck down. That's not the truth. That's a lie. But there are blessings to be had. They're spiritual blessings, and you possess them through faith. So now we finally got to the moment when the Israelites are about to set foot into the promised land. If you want to turn with me to Joshua chapter 4. There's just a small matter of crossing this one and a half mile wide flooded river Jordan, which we dealt with last week because of the sovereign, glorious, supernatural power of God. He holds up the river and creates what they believe to be um, probably a half mile or um, almost three quarters of a mile wide path for these two million Israelites to cross through into their promised land. It was already theirs. God had promised it to Abraham. And so they're about to cross through, and we get to where we are in the book of Joshua, to Joshua chapter 4. Turn with me there. We're going to have them up there, but I also want you to turn with me there, if you have your Bible. Here we go. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, it's to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The glorious faithfulness and supernatural power of God. Verse 8, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. Last verse, verse 13. About 40,000 armed for bat- men for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. I want to talk about this. Uh, um, I'm going to take a, a bit of liberty this morning, if I may, that next week we go, we'll, we'll look at this passage again and we'll focus on the glorious, phenomenal, theological and devotional significance that this time in the life of the Israelites has for us as a people today. But what I want to do this morning is highlight that I think this crossing of the Jordan, these words of Scripture are a mirror moment for us as a church. So I'm, I'm going to tackle next week all that's in this passage for us as God's people. But this week, I just want to focus that for us as a church, I believe this is a mirror moment. 
I want to speak quite personally from these 13 verse, verses. I feel this moment, this story in the life of Joshua and the Israelite mirrors our life as X1, God's people, noticeably this morning. And I'll explain why in some time. I've said this year, we've said this year, that we, we feel the Lord is leading us as a church to pursue greater health through greater impact. And we want to intentionally seek the lost while at the same time equipping the church, equipping the people of X1 to care for one another, to seek greater maturity and purity. That's what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to become more mature in the Lord so we can care for one another, love one another in a, such a selfless, sacrificial way that people are amazed at our community and our care for one another. So we're aiming for that. We want to see that so that we are free to make further impact into, as a church into a lost, secular Watford and beyond. And one of our core values that I feel is essential we embrace and live out for our impact and health to become a reality for us is this. We have eight core values. We have eight core values, and one of them is this. We value the giving of our lives, our time. Ian? We value the giving of our lives, our time, and our money to God's mission. And this is what we mean by that value. To display devotion to Jesus Christ and to this town, we know that we must put our lives, our time, and our money where our mouths are. Christians are good at talking it up, while non-Christians watch and see nothing in their lives. We're good at talking up a good faith, but not so good at living it. We as a church want to value, as a very part of our DNA, we want to put our faith and our lives, our money and our time where our mouths are. The greatest testimony to our integrity as followers of Christ is that we put Him and His mission before our own comfort, agenda, or financial security. Everything we have is from God anyway, so our first desire should be to give it to Him unreservedly. That's what we value as a church, the giving of our lives, our time, and our money to God's mission. Is this a value you're willing to embrace this morning? I must ask this question. You're willing to embrace a value like this? Is it one that defines you? Because I tell you this, and I don't mind talking like this at times, if it doesn't, you will continually find it very uncomfortable to be around us as a people, and you will be offended repeatedly by myself and Andy and the rest of the leadership of this church, because we want this value and the other seven values you see on the back of your handout to become our very DNA. So if you come in here, and you kind of don't really want to value that, you kind of say, maybe a bit of my time, definitely not my money or my life, or maybe my life, but definitely nothing, my money or my time, you're going to constantly be offended by us as a leadership. And instead of saying, oh, they offend me, look into your hearts and see if this is what you're willing to embrace. Because our values, the values of anything, become its very DNA. We want these eight things to define us as a people. Absolute truth, vibrant, personal, and collective prayer, selfless, sacrificial love for one another. We want these to define us. And this value, I think at this time, this morning, reflects what this passage is saying to us. This passage this morning mirrors our life as a church. This book, over three and a half thousand years old, speaks so personally, so authoritatively to us as a church this morning because it's divinely inspired and it's fully authoritative because it's the Word of God. It's transcendent above time. It's not only applicable to the Israelites, it's applicable to us today because it's written by the author who is the creator of all and is above time. 
And I want to charge you this morning, before I get stuck in, I want to charge you with this. And I think it's on a slide. I've run our slides here. Instead of living a life defined by the fear of not having or receiving what you want, live a life defined by the joy of giving your all to God's majestic mission. Instead of living a life defined by the fear of, but I'm not getting what I want. I don't have a big enough house. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough children. I don't have the right Christian boyfriend or girlfriend. I, I, I want, I want. So instead of living a life defined by the fear of not having or receiving what you think you are, what you think you want, live a life defined by the joy of giving your all to the mission of God, the mission to restore all reality, to save broken, destroyed people, to make this world new again, to remove the crying, the weeping, the brokenness, to change it all. Jump into that. Be a part of that and receive the joy that comes. Jesus says you get joy from giving, not by receiving. And that's so true. When you give a gift to another, you both smile. You smile because you see their delight. They smile because they're getting something. Let's be a people marked by joy through giving the, to the mission of God. So very briefly, three key points I feel need to be emphasized for us as a people this morning because of this moment in the life of Israelites reflecting our moment and our time as a church even now. Verses four, chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 Joshua was a leader led by the leader. Your elders are not the leader of this church. Jesus is. Jesus is the head of Christ first. Listen to these words. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones. The Lord said to Joshua, Joshua didn't think, hmm, what would be healthy for us right now? Let's just. The Lord said to Joshua, Joshua heard the Lord and then commanded the people. In a like way this morning, Joshua is not the real ultimate leader of the Israelites. That's Yahweh, the faithful, covenant-keeping, redeeming God. Yahweh is leading. And you'll see later, and you go into chapter 5, even as they get ready to take down Jericho, I'm sure that uh, Joshua had a lot of plans and then God unveils his plans. Pretty weird, but they worked. God is the leader of that people. And this is so true of X1 as a people. We, your elders, are not the leaders or the ultimate leaders of the church. We are a leadership that, like Joshua, are led by Jesus Christ, who is actually the head and the leader of this church. Let me just read to you quickly a brief uh, commentary on this verse about Joshua and his responsiveness to God. And how that, I think, reflects us as your leaders this morning. Okay. The same principle is true today. Who is the God-appointed leader of the church? Be careful. Some will identify the pastor or the elders as the God-appointed leaders of the church. That's true, but only in a limited way. As I've said before, these leaders find their parallel in the tribal leaders of Israel. The leader of the church is Jesus Christ. If you turn to Ephesians 1 verse 22, it tells us that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That's what it tells us in Ephesians 1 22. If you turn to Ephesians 4 verses 15 through 16, we read these words. Ephesians 4 verses 15 
and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. That's our desire for this year, to grow and build ourselves up together in love. But we do that in response to the head of the church, Jesus. We as an eldership are trying to sit constantly before the Lord saying, Lord, lead us. Lord, speak to us as you spoke to Joshua so that we can tell the people, this is where we're going. He's the head of the church. Christ loves X1. Two, Christ will build X1. He is the originator and the owner of this church. Christ owns you. You are a slave of Christ today if you've given your life to him. It's called lordship. We don't really like it, but Christ owns this church. We give it to him. It's his and he is a great shepherd of his people. Andy and I and your, your small group leaders, explore group leaders, are the under-shepherds. He is the one who loves his flock. We are meant to hear his voice. We are meant to be faithful to him as he cares for us. Our calling as your elders is to respond to the leading of Christ as he calls us to journey into new land. That new land, we believe for us as a church, is to learn to live missionally. What I mean is to embrace the lost and the broken, to invite them into our homes, to invite them to, to actually dare to share a beer with an unbeliever because make, drinking a beer doesn't make you a sinner. In fact, it helps you connect with people. Don't drink 10 beers with them so you get drunk and then they go, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. But go and be where they're at. Let's be with people that don't know Jesus. We want to lead us into a new land of living missionally. We want to lead us into a land of faithfulness, being faithful to his word and to his commands to us as a church. We want to lead us into a land of abundance that we will grow more. We will see more salvation. We will have financial breakthrough as a church to make a difference to this town. We want to lead us, but we're following Christ. We're following Christ. Christ. And the role of a church leader today, I was sharing with some, a couple of couples that we had dinner with on, 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 on Friday night, is very different to that of the past. Now there's so much about the importance of leadership, clarity, where are we going, vision, what does it look like, and single-mindedness. There's got to be single-mindedness, and that's what we're devoted to, single-mindedly hearing what God wants for us as a church. We are leaders led by the leader, who is Jesus. Secondly, Look in this passage and you see anonymous, obedient, and unified servants of the mission. Chapters, chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 of the book of Joshua. Listen to these words. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God. Gives them all the instructions. Verse 8. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. You see what the scripture exposes here is a stunning truth about leadership. Any great Christian leader, and I use that word meaning great as in godly and, and, and someone who makes a difference. Any great Christian leader is surrounded by obedient, unified co-warriors working together to fulfill the mission for the glory of God and the joy of the people. Andy will tell you, anyone who's done leadership study, number one point about being a good leader is this. You ready for it? You have followers. You're not a leader if you don't have followers. Stop convincing yourself you are if you don't. It's that kind of thing. I'm a great leader, says Simon Lee Jones. There's no one coming to your church. Well, it's their fault. No, you're just a bad leader. Oh, because leaders have followers. People are united. Leaders, not hierarchically. Not, oh, I'm better, therefore I'm a leader. No, 
Just that's the anointing, that's the calling, that's the gifting. It says in Romans 12, gifted, there's leadership gift. And so we're united, but we're nothing. Andy and I can rave and go on, on and on, unless united, there's a core group of people who are co-warriors, united and obedient to serving the mission of God. And you see this, you almost see these 12 guys going, yippee, I get to carry a stone. They were part of a mission. And that's all they wanted. And they knew their names would be written for all. Nah. Anonymous. Billy Graham. Wow. The first thing he'll do is point to his team. First, Charles Spurgeon. Greatest preacher maybe ever. First thing he used to refer to. Oh no, no. This is just the pulpit. Down below is the engine room where all the old ladies are praying. The eldership of X1, maybe, just maybe, God will do something glorious with us as a people. Whoa, whoa, the elder. No, 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 no. Let me talk to you about the intercessory team that were all gathered together today praying from half past nine till ten. Let me tell you about the people that get you at half past eight and pack up and do things and are just ministering from the beginning to the end. Let me tell you about explore group leaders who are not only leading the explore group but seeking the Lord to find what to say and to hear from God and are going to other meetings. Let me tell you about the multiple number of people serving this mission. It's not about Andy and I. It's not about what we think we can get, what glory. It's about the fact there is a co-unified, co-warriors, anonymous, many of them, but they're making this mission happen. And you see that in the life. There's these 12 anonymous men. They're never named, but they get this. This is what they get. They knew they would be absorbed into the building of a sign that would testify to the faithfulness, mercy, and awesome power of God to all future generations. I want to carry a stone because that stone will represent what God has done for us. I want to pack up Mike stands and leads because it will testify. To the difference God did in saving people's lives through the ministry of X1. That's what it means. Do you want to be a part of that? Surely is that, that's what X1 could become. We could be building something that is a testimony to many future generations of the glory and the power and wonder of God. Who knows what our kids could make X1 into? Who knows what their kids could be a part of in the United Kingdom and beyond? If we're faithful to build a significant sign of His glory and His wonder, a great church. But maybe you're too busy building your own little thing. Maybe you're a spectator, not a participator. Just imagine these guys. Yeah, we get to carry the stones. They just wanted to participate in building a sign to the glory of God. Do you want to build a radiant city on a hill, people of God? Do you want to build a community that is so vibrant, so full of love, that people flock to it? I do. Finally, selfless servanthood. The men of Reuben, verses, verses 10 through 13, I just want to read this bit. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed in front of the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 3.18, you see Moses talking to these people that they will receive their inheritance on the eastern side of the Jordan. And you see in chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 of Joshua, that these guys, their role was to lead and to be armed and to fight for land that would never be theirs. They had their land. These men cross over because they're selfless in their serving of the mission. For some of you, that might be because you're elderly. You've got your bit. You, you're so, it's time, you're saying, my, my days are done, Simon. But if I can be a part of this somehow, 
I want to be a part of If it's prayer, if it's giving, if it's selling my huge house because there's only one of us living there, I want to be a part of this. You've got your inheritance. Maybe it's a spiritually mature who could just sit back and say, well, my life is pretty good. No, you want to be a part of this. You're a Reubenite. You're a Gadite. You're part of the half-tribe of Manasseh. And I think there's almost an eerie picture of what I believe in the life of X1 reflected in this. Let me explain. There was a group of about 35 adults who came from a little church in a school, Queen's School. They came and they saw View Cinema and we said, we want six people on welcome every week. We need to set up lights. We need to set up... And they've been doing it. And they've been doing it. And they've been doing it. And they're still doing it. Almost everyone in this room wearing an orange shirt today came with us from the school. You're the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. You've gone before us. And now there's many of you joining us. And now it's time for us all to raise up and claim our inheritance to live a life of joyous, obedient mission. Realizing the stunning life there is to be had in giving our all to see a church that actually affects the whole culture of a town. That's what we believe. That's part of our vision. We believe God is going to make this church into a church that affects the culture of Watford. Changes the way people think. Changes the way people party. Changes the way people love. But the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh can't do it alone. We need people to join the mission. We need 12 men to shout up and say, I'll carry a rock even if I never get mentioned again. You get the joy of shooting the people that get, do get the glory. So you can, like, you know, all those times that I've been setting up everything and then you stand up and preach and everyone's like, oh, Simon, I'm going to shoot the heck out of you now because I, hopefully not. But what I'm saying is, We've got to join in. As we cross, as this group of Israelites cross to take the promised land, they need to be together. There needs to be a unity. There needs to be an awareness. We want to build a sign that lasts to future generations. We want to take the promised land. And I'll finish with this again. Instead of living a life defined by the fear of not having or receiving what you want, live a life defined by the joy of giving your all to God's majestic mission. We're going to push serving for the next three weeks here in the church. I want many of you to join up. We need about another 12 to 15 people to make a massive difference in this church, particularly on Sunday mornings. Set up, and, set up teams um, and uh, various other teams, Transformers and Crash. We need you to join the mission. We need you to get in. So I just want to say, this moment in the life of the Israelites reflects our life as a church right now, I believe. And I want to do something. I want to do something right now. I want to ask... I want to recognize our faithful servants. I want to make those anonymous servants, I want to give them some recognition. And so I want to do that right now. We want to bless the people that are making X1 work. Because it's not about Andy and I. It's about a faithful group of co-warriors making this happen. And I want to bless each of them with a gift right now. Andy, if you would come up with me, please. I'm going to read out the people that are making this church into something worth being a part of. That's why I've asked everyone to come back. Sorry, I couldn't print off this document, so. Okay. Right, this is in no particular order. But I'm going to ask these people to come up if you would. Do you want to move the lectern away as well? Okay. These are the people that are making X1 work. Um, can I have... 
Kiralee and Jane. Is Jane back in now? Jane Smith? She's not back in. We need her back in, definitely. Can I have Kiralee and Jane and Annie if you'd help as well? Gifts. Jane? Do you want to come up? Please, I need your help, ladies, with giving out gifts. In no particular order, would you come down as I read out your name, okay? Jim and Sue Plummer, welcome team, coordination, explore group leaders, and part of our ministry team. Andrew and Jen Salve, they work on the beverages, and Jen is involved in our crash. Komutso Juma is part of our worship team and helps with crash. Gareth and Sue Burgess, there should be slides up. Gareth and Sue Burgess, ministry team, explore group leader. Sue is leading our elderly explore group or those joining together on Fridays. Paula Murray, drama team and just crazy woman who makes it all really fun, understanding thing. And Krish, Jerry and Sue Abraham. Let's clap. I love it. I love it. Jerry and Sue Abraham, explore leaders, worship, transformers. I can go on and on and on about this couple. Jerry and Sue Abraham, Eve and Zara Hale, beverages, crash, transformers soon. Zara will be joined. Eve and Zara, come down. Adam McGovern, okay, he's not sure. He just does everything almost. Transformers, setup, pack down, general everything. Daniel and Rachel Brown, Daniel, come down. Uh, PA, stretchy lunches, we love those. Ex Explore group co-leaders, worship team, crash, you name it. Come on, come on. And making lots of lovely food for us. Aaron McGovern, worship team, explore co-leader, wonderful man of God. Okay? Daniel Townley, video editing and funny guy on videos, explore group co-leader. Humphrey and Carolyn Chemibus, intercessory prayer and ministry team. Come up, Humphrey, Carol. Sue Doobie, worship team. Anne Murray, worship team. Greg Beza, Transformers. Come up, come up, come up. Greg, come on. Lorraine Duff. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. I can honestly say... We would be nowhere. Don't worry, I've got the names. Don't you worry, guys. <laughs> Lorraine, if it wasn't for you, I'd, I'd, I don't know how we'd exist. And that's just an honest, honest appraisal of you. This woman is a model to what it is to give your life to the mission. Okay. All right. Ruth Dalton and Sapphire Dalton, Transformers and Beverages. Lewis Dalton, PA team and video uploading. Come on. Ian Murray, PA team. James Brown, set up and pack down, trustee, beverages, you name it. Ruth Best, beverages, ministry team. Sharon Flaherty and Sam Flaherty, transformers and beverages. Daniel Abraham, crash set up, cakes waiter. <laughs> Jane Smith, explore group leader, crash leader and loving an elder. That is the biggest thing we need. Kiralee Lee Jones, super hottie, explore group leader. Cakes maker and general coordinator, Krish, and loving the other elder. Tony Alphonse, worship team, brilliant, Tony. Linda Palmer and Kenny Bone, super lift giver, Krish, transformers. Christine James, always making cakes and often picking up a broom to clean up afterwards. Please come up. If I've missed anyone out, Fire Andy and I, we're sorry, there's probably more. I haven't included welcome team because that comes through. But I just want to pray for you guys. I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Andy wants to thank you. Am I right? Amen. And I'll maybe let Andy pray for you. These are people making X1 work. These are the people doing it. Bless you. Bless you. Many of you are probably playing roles in many other ways, caring for one another. That's key. I just want to say this. Get in. Get in. And you get a free box of chocolates next year.